I love that song. I love that song very much and the words uh, of it. We're looking again at Matthew uh, chapter uh, 5 at the Beatitudes. If you'd like to open a Bible or look on your phone. This was the sermon, the beginning of the sermon that Jesus preached on a mountain. Um, the main theme of the sermon is, what does it mean to be right with God? How can a person know that they have a relationship with God? And the key verse probably in the entire sermon comes in this chapter in verse 20, where Jesus said, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that would have seemed impossible because the religious leaders that Jesus is speaking of had an external righteousness that was unsurpassed. Uh, total focus was on outward behavior, on what a person did and what a person said. But Jesus says conduct flows from character, it flows from the heart. And so what he is describing here, especially in the Beatitudes, is a true Christian, a person who is right with God. And not because we try to live like a person who is described here, but because Jesus comes to live within us as believers, and these things flow out then. He transforms us from the inside out. Again, just by way of review, Matthew sets the stage in verse 1 when he says, Seeing the crowds, verse 1 of chapter 5, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. We know from the end of the sermon that the multitudes heard him, the crowds heard him, so it's as though there's a large crowd listening to Jesus on the mountain, but the disciples are up closest to him. And he begins each of the next several verses with blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. There's seven of these that are called beatitudes. They're called beatitudes because the Latin word for blessed is beatus. And so they call them the beatitudes just because they all start with that word. Today, let's look at verse 5, the third beatitude. Uh, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What is meekness? It's, it's been said, and it's really true, that probably of all the beatitudes, this is the most misunderstood because we don't understand that word meek. And the meaning has changed a lot since these ancient times. Uh, meek, I can just tell you this, is not weakness. It, it is not being fearful. Uh, in the ancient world, the word meek was used to describe a domesticated animal. So here's this large uh, horse that's tamed, and they would refer to that animal as meek because it was, it was power and strength under control. Uh, but the word in this context describes a trusting, submissive attitude toward God. So a person who is trusting God in all things is referred to as meek. Now, you should know that, that this beatitude, this verse 5, is not original with Jesus. When it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, he is quoting from Psalm 37. Without turning there, let me tell you a little bit about Psalm 37, because this is the whole foundation for this verse. Psalm 37 focuses on trusting God. Verses 3 to 5 of that psalm say, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. And, and then later in the psalm, in verse 9, he describes the person who does not trust in the Lord. He says, for the evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. 
and though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. And then it comes to verse 11, which is this, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So who then are the meek that Psalm 37 is describing? It's those who are trusting in the Lord, who have committed their way to the Lord, uh, who rest in the Lord. It is these who are happy, in the biblical sense of the word, who are blessed in Christ, and they shall inherit the earth. So meekness is not weakness. It is describing a submissive, compliant attitude to the Lord. That is a meek person. So how do you become meek? If, if this is what God desires for his followers, how, how then does this happen? Well, uh, one way is you, you look at the examples from the Bible. My father's name is Jesse. And Samuel, the last of the judges, Samuel comes and anoints him to later become the king. And imagine being a youngster in a family and that, that happens. It's pretty heady stuff, isn't it? Don't you think you'd probably develop a, an attitude? Hey, I'm going to be king. Maybe not right now, but it's, it's obvious God has chosen me to be the king. But Saul is the king. You know the story then. David goes uh, on an errand for his dad to his brothers who are soldiers. Uh, the Israelite soldiers are facing the Philistines. Goliath comes out, issues his daily challenge. David goes out, long story, very short, he goes out and kills Goliath. And as they bring, as he comes back into the city, the people are, are just delirious about David. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Now, Saul doesn't like it. He burns with jealousy. Who is this young upstart? And now the people, the popularity, which it seems to be all that Saul cared about, uh, is shifted from him to this, this youngster. And so Saul tries to kill David, and then later, later Saul uh, uh, tries to kill him more than once. And David has two, at least two opportunities where he could kill Saul uh, by his own hand, and he doesn't do it. Why? Because he's submissive to the Lord, and he says this is not the right thing to do uh, because it wasn't God's timing, and it was not up to him to kill the Lord's anointed. What is that? That is meekness. That is having the power to carry something out and yet saying, Lord, I'm committed to you, I'll not do it. But the main human example besides Christ is Moses. And I say that because there's a verse in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, and it, and it says that Moses was very meek above all the men who were upon the face of the earth. You know that verse? I want to ask you, and I do want you to respond. Numbers chapter 12, and that's the verse, you may have heard the verse. Will you raise your hand just to indicate if you know what happens in Numbers chapter 12? All right, one, all right, a few. Brace yourself. And you're going to see in just a moment why most of us have never heard this taught too often unless we've read it. Here's what happened in Numbers chapter 12. But let me give you the background. You remember Moses uh, is raised in, by the daughter of Pharaoh basically uh, her adopted son. And he, as he becomes a man, he goes out one day and he sees uh, a Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian. And he looks around, it says, and he, he, he wants to make sure nobody sees it. He kills the Egyptian and he buries the body in the sand. And the next day he comes back and there are two, uh, two Hebrews fighting. And he asked one of them, why, why are you hitting the other fella? And they turned to him and say, who made you judge over us? Are you going to kill us like you killed the, the Egyptian? 
Well, Moses, I assume, didn't think anyone saw him, so it says he's afraid. He flees. He flees also because Pharaoh hears about it, and Pharaoh wants him dead. So he flees a long way off. He goes to Midian. That was not next door. That was a far journey to go to Midian from Egypt. He lives in Midian for 40 years, and during that time, he marries the daughter of a priest. The priest is named Jethro, and he, he marries one of her daughters named Zipporah. They have children. Then God calls Moses to deliver his people from Israel. And you know that story, the plagues and the Red Sea and so forth. Now they've been out in the wilderness for over a year. They've been at Sinai, I should say, for over a year. And Zipporah has died by now, and Moses has remarried. And this chapter deals with that remarriage. The woman he marries is not named. She's just called a Cushite. The Cushites were the ancient ancestors in, of modern-day Ethiopia. She was black. Now, while they were enslaved in Egypt, there would have been people from all sorts of other nations that were enslaved too. And when they came out of Egypt, they were grafted into the nation of Israel. And they were part of that. So there would have been people that were non-Hebrews, Gentiles, that had been grafted in. So in this chapter, and I'll, I'll read a part of it, Miriam, Moses' sister, and Aaron, his brother, who's the high priest, they don't like it. They don't like that he has married this Cushite. But they express that dislike by questioning Moses' leadership. It says in verse 2 that Miriam says, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And then in verse 3 it says, The Lord heard. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And so God calls him out and to the tent of meeting, Moses and Miriam and Aaron. And God says, hear my words, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. And then he questions Miriam and, and Aaron. And he says, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And God was angry with them. And God sends leprosy among Miriam. But what does Moses do? Does he stand and look at Miriam, especially in Aaron, and say, see, I told you. Don't you see I'm God's, I'm God's man for this time? Look what he's done through me, leading the people out of Egypt. How dare you speak about me? Is that what Moses does? No, not at all. What does this humble man do? He prays, he pleads for God to heal Miriam of this leprosy. And in response to Moses' prayer, God does heal her seven days later. And she has to stay outside the camp, isolated, quarantined for a week before she's healed. It's in that context where Moses did not defend himself He's an example of what God says, that I will speak for you while you remain silent. Even when his brother and his sister are accusing him, that all goes back to this woman that he had married. But the highest example we have of meekness is the Lord Jesus. When Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, it tells us in Matthew 21 that he quotes the Old Testament prophecy, or it's quoted, Behold, the king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. So Jesus is the example of meekness and humility. 
When he was reviled, First Peter said, he did not revile in return. What was that? That was meekness. That was meekness. When he was insulted, he did not return insult for insult. We've seen this play out so many times on the television the past few weeks. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, when, when I've watched, especially those first few days, the abuse the police took verbally, face to face, and often the sound wouldn't be, you wouldn't hear what was being said. But on some of the networks, they did reveal the sound. Imagine someone being inches from your face, calling you every possible name, not only you, but your wife and your mother and your daughters and everyone else, and to have control. Now, maybe that's just discipline and self-control, but imagine Christ in the same situation, you might say. Here, the one who holds all things together, Colossians tells us, who created everything, all things were made by him and through him. And to be mocked at there by the Roman soldiers who take him after Pilate has washed his hands of the matter in his cowardice and beat him with a reed and they mock him saying, the king of the Jews, let's make a thorn, a crown for him. And they press the thorns into his head. And then they blindfold him and say, tell us you're the prophet. Tell us which one hit you as they beat him in the face. And then when he's hanging on the cross, he saved others. He cannot save himself. Ha! What kind of fool is this? And there's no, and here's the one who created, created the world, who could call down legions of angels, and he doesn't do it. Why? Was that weakness? No, that's meekness. He was entrusting himself to the Lord rather than to his own power. And then we have the meekness of God himself. That sounds strange, doesn't it? We talk often of the love of God, the mercy of God, and the grace of God, and so forth. But the meekness of God, how do we see that? Well, 2 Peter 2, verse 9, He is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Just imagine how many times a day God's name is trampled through the dirt, used in vain, us shaking our fists, so to speak, in his face, blaming him for every possible a bad thing that happens and giving him no credit for every good thing that happens. He blesses us and Elliot led us in prayer and provides for us over and over and over and it goes unrecognized often by us all. And yet what does it say? He is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How easily God could crush us all and send us straight to hell. Why does he not? Because in his meekness, he moderates his anger. He is full of majesty, and he is full of meekness. So let's look at the promise. There's a promise here. I could go on and on about how we gain meekness. And the promise is we shall inherit the earth. What does that mean? It does not mean that we'll one day all have beachfront property and oil wells or high-end real estate. It's a promise for the future. Uh, the scriptures do not spell out the specific details of, of what this will be. But we do know from other passages, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 6, the saints shall judge the world. You will play a part in judging the world if you are a Christian. There may be suffering and sorrow and persecution, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, but when Jesus returns, we shall reign with him. So Romans 8 puts it this way. We are children, and if children, then heirs, 
heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We are going to inherit the world. Inheritances are odd things. In the years I've been a pastor, I've heard and seen many stories. They can split a family. They can disappoint. Uh, they can be very helpful. You never know. I stood with a man in a hospital years ago whose father was dying, and he was very near death, and the person off to the side said to me, uh, we have no idea how many fortunes our father made and lost, and right now we don't know how we're going to pay the hospital bills. So often things don't appear as, as they seem. They are not as what they look like. But what's the inheritance ha God has for us? It's not going to be lost. Uh, it, it's not going to be at the last moment changed. What is it? The world. The earth. We will inherit the earth. And there's going to be a new heavens. And a new, how does that sound? You say, well, I got... $5,000. Uh, oh, guess what? I got the earth. We will inherit the earth. So I close with this. As Martin Lloyd-Jones said, meekness is impossible for the natural person. If you don't know Christ, you can try and mimic some of this, but it is impossible to have truly a meek attitude. Because we can never make ourselves meek. We cannot put ourselves in an environment that will produce meekness. It cannot be done, but the Holy Spirit can produce meekness in us. That's why it's in Galatians chapter 5 as part of the fruit of the Spirit. So I want to urge you this week, believer, pray for meekness. Pray that God will help you to trust, you, to trust him, to commit yourself to him, to uh, submit yourself to him. I don't know about you, this is a hard time. Uh, we have our disabled son home and 120 plus days of diapers and, and it, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's delusional at times. And it calls for trusting God to, to commit ourselves to him on a day-by-day -day basis. God wants that. He wants that for you. He, he wants you to commit yourself to him, to trust yourself to him, and he will do it. We look at examples, but above all, we look at Christ himself. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are moved when we think about the humility of Christ and your ongoing humility and meekness shown toward us and your desire and how patient you are that none should perish but that all should come to repentance. We pray that you would produce in us meekness that comes from your Holy Spirit. May our trust today be in Christ and in him only, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you take your order of service, and we'll sing our last hymn, O Church Arise. And it's fitting that I ask you to arise. Let's all stand together and sing. <laughs>